Well, thank you. <laughs> let's take our Bibles this afternoon and let's uh, charge back into the Sermon on the Mount. We'll find that in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And uh, once again, we'll read the first 12 verses. Uh, Matthew chapter 5. And we'll begin reading it, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. May God add a special blessing reading of his word. And let's just pause once again in prayer before we begin our study together. Father God, we're thankful for the opportunity we have to be able to open the word. And as we've even closed these last couple of verses in the sense of persecution in our world, literally has gone crazy. And Father, there are many places today that it is not okay many peoples and many governments to open the Word of God in public and to share with one another. Thankfully, Father, that here on this day, we have the opportunity to do such. And Father, we know that you use your Word through the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells those that have trusted Christ to literally make us more like your Son, Jesus. That is your purpose and always has been. Father, now for these moments that we're gathered, we would ask that these moments would be yours to do with us as you would see as best, using the Word, as the Spirit, we pray, Father, would be our teacher exclusively. We look to you for guidance, direction, strength, and power that can only come from you. Allow us to be encouraged today, Father, from the strength that will be ours when we trust in you. And now, Father, we ask that you be with those that have come out and those that hear my voice, that you would bless them for being interested enough to worship and to praise your name. As we study the word, we'd again ask that the Spirit would be our sole teacher. Thank you for what you're going to accomplish. In Christ's precious and holy name, amen. <clears throat> Today we find ourselves uh, the third session in... Jesus' way of being happy. God's defining for us, literally, how to be happy. And in our world today, there's a whole lot of people that want to be happy, but they're going about it a way different way, aren't they? And we've said in the last couple of weeks already that if someone is seeking exclusively to be happy, they will never be happy. Because that's first and foremost for themselves to take care of self and self first and self alone, and to be happy, 
If that's your sole motive, I'm sorry to say, I have no answers for you. <laughs> but Jesus, I think, again, I, I'd like to talk about the political scene, the, uh, maybe just where they're at in the sense of context of that nation when Jesus walked the earth. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, I believe it says that Jesus came at just the perfect time. God knew what he's doing. And now you think about from the perspective of the Israelis, the Jews living in Palestine in that time of age. Uh, actually, let's, let's just step back. This would have been about 30 AD, plus or minus, when Jesus is, is involved now beginning ministry. So let's just say it's 30 AD. Something happened in 63 BC that literally took the Jews to a level of, I'm going to say, total dismay. They are distressed. They are discouraged because in that time frame, 63 BC, the Romans literally made them their own colony. They essentially took control and in one way enslaved them. They, their rights as being God's chosen people, Jews as being their, um, what should I say, their own sovereign people ceased. Wasn't the first time and it wasn't the last. But nonetheless, here comes this Messiah. And we read on our, on our initiation, this, this, this speech, if you will, was Jesus' inaugural. This is the one where all of the people are starting to gather. And if you go through chapter 4, which we did the first time we were together, and read it again if you'd like uh, this evening, you'll see this it sets it up. Jesus is doing miracles amongst the people. He's healing people. He's ministering to people. And they're starting to follow him. You'd have to be not very sharp to not notice the miraculous power that Jesus has, certainly at the beginning of his ministry and all the way through, and that was something that would have been talked about, that would have been mentioned, that would have been very clearly sought after from the Old Testament, particularly in Isaiah chapters 44 to 66, say. And the religious leaders and the people were starting to catch on. They said, maybe he's the one. The question was, he was the one for what? If you were a zealot, and there was a faction of those, and they hated the Romans. In fact, a true zealot actually carried a, a, a sword, short sword, and if they had opportunity, especially particularly after dark, and there was a Roman, they went ahead and murdered them. They, they took business in their own hands. They, 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 wanted, they hated them so badly, that's how they saw it was a political overthrow. And there was a lot of the Jewish people that felt the same way. We've got to get rid of the Romans to be happy. How many things in our nation's life today is destined, or shall we say portrayed to be, if only that would happen, then we would be happy. What's Jesus going to do with a nation that's literally in this tumult? The Pharisees, of course, they were the religious leaders, and they were looking for a miracle. They felt the Messiah would come and... By the way, all through the Old Testament, it talked about the coming of the kingdom. When that Messiah came, we, Israel, would be in the kingdom, and we would be on top of the world, literally, and we would rule with our Messiah. And the Old Testament speaks of that, no question about it. They were excited for the Messiah to come. They couldn't wait. So here's this one, this one called Jesus Christ, and he was literally fulfilling 
prophecies and he was doing miracles and he was really starting to shake the world up. And here they are, they're gathered in this place, which is a great multitude, and he slips up into the mountain and sits down and begins to speak. And I'm sure there was rapt attention. The disciples, why do you think they gathered up with Jesus? They wanted to be on the inside of this kingdom. They wanted to be there. They wanted to be the cabinet members, if you will. In fact, let's take a look at a couple of things. Even in, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, we've talked about some of those that wanted a political or a military kingdom. The Pharisees were looking for a miraculous overthrow. But let's go to Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. Now, the time frame of this event, of which the disciples and Jesus are together for the last time, it's after Jesus' resurrection. And you can't, I, I, we've, we've talked about it numerous times, but can you imagine all of the air going out of the room when Jesus Christ was betrayed and he's hanging on the cross. And at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, after it had been three hours dark, when God literally, God the Father, turned his back on God the Son. I can't imagine those moments. Excruciating pain. And the world went dark, if you will. All of that burden, my sin, which I hadn't even been born yet, but my sin that I committed because I was the very being of who I am, Jesus wore that on his back. And for those three hours, God turned his face away. Ah, oh, it just runs shivers up my spine for everyone. Uh, John the Baptist, the first time he saw Jesus Christ, he's, he's going to baptize him in a few moments. And he says this, he, he's seeing him from a distance. John was very intuitive, wasn't he? He was very insightful. And what, did, what was John's message? I've, I've got you in Acts chapter 1. I want you to actually, before you do, did you guys turn to Acts chapter 1 verse 6? You're very, very obedient. Let's go back and see what John the Baptist had said. Uh, hold your place. We'll be right back to Acts, but I just happen to think this would be a good place to land as well. Let's go to um, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. And let's see what John's message was. John was the forerunner. He was the one that literally was shaping the world, getting the world ready for the Messiah, for Jesus Christ. In chapter 3 of Matthew, in verse 1, it says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent you, watch, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was a good message. They were excited about that. We've been waiting. We've been under these, uh, I was going to say the Russian rule. No, they were under the Roman rule for literally all of those years, and they couldn't wait for the kingdom to finally come. Now, it even gets better. Turn to Mark chapter 1. Just turn over to the next gospel, gospel of Mark chapter 1 and verse 15. Mark 1 and verse 15. Uh, verse 14. Now, this is interesting. <clears throat> Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now, after that, John was put in prison. At the end of John's ministry, as you said, and he was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent you and believe the gospel. Does that not sound like John the Baptist and Jesus's message is exactly the same? And everybody's on fire. But what they didn't see was a very different landscape. John, who is leading into Jesus, and by the way, John said when he first saw Jesus coming from a distance, he said something. You know what it was? 
Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Whoa! Can you, oh, wow. I bet you, John, I bet his, you know, I can see him. I've never seen a picture of him. Have you? But I've got a picture in my mind. A guy who would eat grasshoppers and had leather, uh, leathers on. He was a wild guy, wasn't he? And I just have a feeling, yeah, his eyes would have gotten big. And I think his hair maybe even stood on end to think that he saw the one that he was predicting. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And here's this one, this Lamb of God. But I want to take you back to Acts for just a moment because I want you to see that the disciples, even after Jesus, they'd walked and talked with Jesus. They'd been with him their last, at the Last Supper, remember? They're communing. They've watched him wash their feet. They saw all of the things that made him who he was. And then they watched him die. And then, miracle of all miracles, he rose from the dead. And you know the first thing in their mind? Watch it. Let's go to Acts now, chapter 1, and we'll dial in to verse 6. When they therefore were come together, speaking of the disciples and Jesus, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> what do you think is on their mind? The very same thing that would be if you had blood flowing in your, in your veins and you were a Jew. When are we going to have the kingdom of heaven? having the kingdom of the Messiah. And you know what Jesus did not say is he didn't scold them. He didn't say, no, 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 that's not what's going to happen at all. But he doesn't tell them when. Now, there is a time when the kingdom of heaven will literally be, in fact, let's go to this. This is an interesting passage as well. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. And Jesus read this before he started his ministry. In the synagogue, he got up to, and I don't know where that is exactly in the Gospels, but just turn to Isaiah chapter 61. And he began reading, and it's interesting where he stopped. Have, have you ever, have you, he, he read like a verse and a half, and he stopped right in the middle of the verse, and he sat down. Well, let's watch what he read. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 begins this way. The Spirit of the Lord of God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. Whoa, did you, that's the word we're going to study today, by the way, meek. Good tidings unto the meek. We'll, we'll hang on to that word. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he shut the book and he sat down. Now if you go on, which now I have to find my place because I wanted to get your attention. Just hang with me. I'll, I'll go back to Acts. I'm sorry. I should have had my marker in there. But, where was I at? Oh, Isaiah. That's right. It'll take me just a second. And, and you guys can, and uh, you can think that I'm going to have to hurry, right? I'm going to be there. I'll get there. Isaiah 61. So sorry. It just seems so appropriate to show you exactly what he did. But then it goes on to say, And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes. And the rest of that chapter, you know what it's talking about? It's talking about the rule and reign of Jesus Christ as being the king of the millennial kingdom. But there's a huge gap in time. And Jesus, at that distinct word in the middle of verse 2 in the Old Testament reading, closed the book and sat down. Because the first coming was exactly what he had read. And the second coming would be coming up. Now, the disciples were all ready 
Okay, we got this. Jesus, we saw you die for our sins. I still don't know that they got that folk until the Holy Spirit, literally in a few hours, I'm, I, from the, back to Acts chapter 1, within a few hours of when Jesus left them, they met and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit came upon them and indwelt them. I can't imagine the power in that room on that day. A beginning of a whole new dispensation. We're here today in the church today under the age of grace because it started right there at Pentecost. And when Jesus Christ left, the Holy Spirit came and he's indwelling each and every one of you that have trusted Christ as Savior. And Jesus even said, I got to leave so the Spirit can come. Isn't that fantastic? I mean, I would love to have Jesus teach. I would like to sit in the front row to listen to Jesus. I'd even sit in the back row to listen to Jesus. But Jesus says, no, I want the comforter to come. I want the comforter, and we talked about that last week. Those that mourn, those that are mournful over their sin, guess what? They will be comforted. The Holy Spirit will work on those particular. There's three things we're talking about. We're on the third one. The first one was, do you remember? Humble. Humble. Those that are broken and contrite. There's no better place to start with God than to being humble. In fact, it's the only place to start. If you won't go there, you won't find Jesus. You can't find him on a stool of pride. You won't find him on a stool of self-assertiveness. And it sets you up perfectly then to be in the next phase, which is to be meek. Show me someone that's meek that's not humble. Can't be done. Now let's, I'm still, how, how are you doing? Do you get the context of all of this? Now Jesus is unfolding and he unrolls and the people are like, What's he, what, what, what do you mean humble and, and meek? Did, did he miss the memo? We, 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 aren't we supposed to be powerful and strong and courageous and anti-Roman and take over, be militant? That would sell pretty well on Main Street, any city in the United States today. You know what Jesus would say to them today? Exactly. Blessed are the meek. Happy are the meek. That doesn't sell today. How much meekness took, took place in the streets of 30 to 35 cities that literally lost it the last several nights? How much meekness was there? Not very much. How many left happy? I, that's zero. They made a stole. They made, I, I can't go down this path too, but you know what? It doesn't matter whether it's 2020 or A.D. 30. Jesus' words are just as appropriate and pertinent. In fact, I find it amazing that here we are on this Sunday, May 31st, 2020, and we're talking about meekness when Jesus spoke it a long time ago, and I can't think of anything that we need more in our nation today than that right now. That was too loud. <laughs> Jesus would say the same thing. He would say the same thing. And that's what I like about the Word of God. It's so relevant for where we live. It's so appropriate. Jesus would say the same thing. I love that. I love that. Now, Jesus also said something that was interesting. This must have blown their minds. In fact, uh, let's go take your Bibles. I, I think you were in Isaiah. Let's go to... Um, uh, bum, 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 bum. Let's go to John chapter 18. 
John chapter 18. And let's look at verse 26. I think I'm right. If not, we'll, I'll be close here. John chapter 18, and maybe it's verse 36, but I'll find out in a second. Yeah, it's verse 36. I'm sorry. Now, as you're turning there, uh, what's happening here is Jesus is appearing before Pilate. Remember Pilate? He was the guy that thought he was in charge. And literally, <laughs> in fact, I love to think about Jesus Christ. I'm going to say this a couple of times. I was going to close with it, but I'm going to say it now. Uh, let, let's, let's just work for a moment. Remind me to come back to John chapter 18, verse 36, but, but let's just talk about meekness for a second. I want you to describe for me what meekness means. And when's the last time that you heard the fact of you should learn how to be meek from the world? You won't, you won't, you won't ever hear it. There's no books on it. I mean, if you go to a bookstore, New York bestsellers list, not on that one. How to be meek. It's almost laughable. In fact, what does meekness mean to the world? If I was going to say, if I, if I wrote down, I'll, I'll get my little writer out here. And if I were meek, what would the world say that equals? Weak. weak. That's exactly right. And that's not double E-E-K, it's d- which I just wrote because I, I said it. That's the power of, of suggestion. Now I lost my eraser. Oh, here we go. Here it is. <laughs> you should see this. Oh, you should probably. Okay. Weak. Meek equals weak. That's what the world thinks. Is that what it means? Now, even our, even actually, in, in some of the definitions you may look up on your phone, you may look at a dictionary, they even get it wrong there. It would be the lack of courage. You'll find that definition. That is not what the Greek word means here. Not even close. A couple of things we could, oh, it's you. Why don't you talk? We've said this a number of times here, but I can't, we just can't get enough meekness, quite honestly, because it really, really allows Christians to take a step above. And it sounds so odd, because if you're meek, you're not asserting yourself, but it makes you stick out because I'm going to tell you what, if there was a lot of meekness in the world today, it will stick out. So tell me what your, your, your impression of meekness is. Let's write a few of these down. Power under control. That's a good one. Anything else? Anything else? Humble. And humble comes right with it. I think they're just they're parallel. They walk hand in hand. You show me someone that's humble, and I'm telling you what, they're on the right track to being meek. Respectful, I think that, that, that actually is in there as well. Respectful. You're thinking, and why are you respectful? Because you're thinking of others more than yourself. In fact, again, humility, one of my favorite definitions over the years, is it's not thinking less of yourself. It's just not thinking of yourself at all. That's a beautiful picture of humbleness. And, and meekness is very, a very close cousin to that. They just walk hand in hand, and that's the best way to meet God is with humility and meekness. In fact, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Oh, no, we were supposed to do something, and you guys didn't remind me. We're in John chapter 18, aren't we? Let's look at something. Now, Jesus, I'll set this up. If you notice, I'm just bouncing around. I do that all the time, though, because you never know where I'm going to go, and it keeps you on your toes, doesn't it? Uh, Jesus is in front of Pilate. Pilate thinks he's in charge because he's the governor. He's the guy that's really, he's got this thing. They've appeared before him because they want to get Jesus condemned. And he's asking the questions. 
In verse 36, I'm sorry, in verse 35, well, let's start down a little bit further. Verse 33, there we go. Pilate entered, verse 33, John chapter 18. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Where is he looking at? He's looking from a political standpoint, isn't he? I mean, for, for Pilate to be engaged in a spiritual aspect, not a chance. He sees King, capital K, as being a problem to him and to the Roman Empire. He's, are, are you, and what do you, what do you think the Jews threw that out there? Because they figured to get him killed. Did they want Jesus to be king of the Jews? Absolutely, but he wanted to do it his way. I'm sorry, their way. Jesus was looking at a heart issue. They wanted a political issue. And Jesus always goes to the heart of the matter. In fact, I even found the study that I did today. It was very heart engaging. As I go back over the last week and I just think, you know how, how things, you just think how you did things, how you went through things. Man, I could have used a lot more meekness. I find myself saying that almost after every day. Lord God, help me to get more meek. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift. By the way, it's a gift from him. It's a gift from God. If you don't know Jesus Christ personally, your chances of being meek are zero. Because it's totally the antithetical response to self. And if you're not saved, there's a whole lot of self. Right? So meekness is literally a gift from God. Now let's go to, uh, back to John chapter 18. Pilate asked the question, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself? Or did others tell it to you? I like that. In other words, Pilate, was that your question? Was that your idea? Or did somebody actually tell you to ask that question so that I could be condemned? That was, he got right to the heart. Did you see he gets to the heart of things? Pilate doesn't take the bait. He goes on and he says, "Uh, am I a Jew? It's it's almost like he's frustrated. In other words, what did he answer? Yes, I did take that question from somebody else. (laughs) But he says, am I a Jew? Thine own nation, the chief priests have delivered you into me. What have you done? Now look at what Jesus said. My kingdom is not of this world. Oh, my goodness. That would have been everything that they didn't want if they thought he was the Messiah. If the disciples would have been there, they weren't. But if they would have been there, they'd say, what? You mean there is no kingdom? And then after, we saw in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, after all of that, he was resurrected from the dead. It would seem so obvious, wouldn't it? If you were going to peel predictions, if you were going to go to Daniel and you were going to take the prophecies, this would be perfect, Jesus, because, you know, you've risen from the dead. Here you are. Now let's get a kingdom going. Now they missed some stuff. They missed us. See, Daniel can only see mountain peaks of, of prophecy. And it's just like us to look at Mount Baldy. You don't just go to Mount Baldy with going through some valleys, Right? There's a whole lot of topography. There's a whole lot of geography between here and what you see. It was the same for Daniel. He saw mountain peaks, and in between steps, this age of grace, he never even saw. It was a parenthesis. It was something he couldn't see, and nor could they. But it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Let's go to John chapter 8. Because I find this interesting. <laughs> it, as I've unveiled for you, which is a new information, but it's to bring us up to context again, I want you to see wishful thinking on the side of the religious leaders. Let's go to John chapter 3. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. Larry, back up. It is John chapter 8. Okay. We're going to turn to verse. Um, that's what I'm working on. 
Verse 32. John chapter 8, verse 32. A passage of Scripture that you all know very, very well. In fact, we should step at verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's still a true statement. I'd like, to, I'd like to say that from the mountaintops. The truth will make you free. Verse 33. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou you should be made free? Wait a minute. They, they've been on Roman rule since 63 B.C. For 90 years they were under a cap, and they won't even admit it. That's called wishful thinking, right? That's wishful thinking. That's the landscape in which Jesus said, Blessed or happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the kingdom. Now, it's interesting. I think what bugged the, the religious leaders particularly more than anything else is if you go through the Gospels, and the Gospels are very, it, it's not every word, it's not every, obviously, everything that Jesus ever said, because John even said it would fill volumes and volumes that we couldn't even say, but it captures the, the, the inference. It captures the picture of who Jesus was. Do you know what, how much stuff he said about the Romans? Nothing hardly, right? Nothing. In fact, the one time they said, should we pay our taxes and give unto Caesar what is Caesar's? And give unto God what is God's? He didn't say nothing about it. You know what he talked a whole lot about? Was hypocrisy in the religious leaders. A lot. How much did they like that? Oh, good. We're going to get another sermon about us. And they learned to hate him, didn't they? They went from a dislike to a bitterness to a hatred to literally wanting to kill him. All because why? Because he wasn't there to make it their way. Who would we say, and let's, let's, we're going to start to walk through now reality in the sense of let's study people. Let's study God's word in regards to examples of meekness. So let's think about that as we, as we go further on. Now, it was interesting, uh, even today, um, our scripture today was uh, Psalm 37. Paul read that in our opening. Do you know that's where we need to go right now? Because it gives us a perspective of meekness in the Old Testament. So let's turn to uh, Psalm chapter 37 once again. Psalm chapter 37. And let's take a peek. I'd like to, first of all, bring you to verse 9 and verse 11 and watch the same terminology that Jesus unveiled in his fifth, the fifth verse of Matthew. Verse 9 says, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Ah, didn't he say that? Who was going to inherit the earth? The meek. And what did he say? Those that wait upon the Lord. Write that down because that's part of meekness. Waiting upon the Lord. Verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Did you see it? Verse 11. It's the closest picture we have to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Now, what I find very interesting is you would take that Sermon on the Mount, even today. There's so many people that say, that is, that is, that is something that will be coming. It, 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 we couldn't possibly understand what that would be to do all of the. What do you, what do you mean humble and meekness and and sorrowful and all, what? How can we be happy in that? That is right out of the Old Testament, Psalm chapter 37. The meek shall inherit the earth. Whoa, 
But I want to take, jot these down because these are things within Psalm 37 that literally allow us to see characteristically of what meekness is about. Look at verse 1 of chapter 37. It starts out this way. Isn't this a great one? This is Psalm of David. David was so, he was, he was a heart guy, wasn't he? He went right to the heart. That's why David was said of this. A man after God's own heart. You know why? Because David could get right to the heart. You read his Psalms, I'm telling you, you're right there. So, especially when I'm hurting, when I've got those challenges. You know what? I want to read David's stuff because he gets right to the heart of it. You know what Jesus did? He got right to the heart of it. Verse 1, chapter 37, fret not thyself because of evildoers. How easy is it to be fretting about evildoers? I'm kind of fretting this week a little bit, to be honest. I just have to be honest. I'm watching these idiots. You see, I'm not a lot of meekness right now. I'm, 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 I'm right there, but what am I doing? What did he say? Don't fret about that. Don't fret. Don't be anxious. Why? What is meekness? It's the opposite of self-assertiveness. Meekness is depending on God. Meekness is taking a step back and did you remember the one you wrote down first? What did you write down? Tell me what you wrote down. Verse 9. What was it? What, 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 what? Waiting upon the Lord, right? Is that the one I gave you? That's, yeah, to wait upon the Lord. How easy is that to do? How many of you want to wait all the time? Depends on who you're waiting on, right? Nobody likes waiting. Waiting room, isn't that fun? The magazines are all bad, aren't they? Go to a waiting room. There's not one that you want to look at. But you know the best thing to do when you're in God's waiting room? Read his word. Just read his word. Let the Holy Spirit work on you. And guess what he does while you're waiting? He's working. When he's working, he's changing you. When he's changing you, guess what? Fretting goes out the window. Fret not. Wait on the Lord. Let's look at verse uh, 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. That's the third one. You should write that one down. Don't fret. Wait on the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Oh, there's actually, look at verse 8. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thy... If you missed it in verse 1, he tells you again, don't fret. How many of you have fretted this week? Boy, there's some dishonest people. No. <laughs> Fretting is so easy, isn't it? There's so many things that... And you know what it usually is a lot of times? I, I, had, I had a couple of things happen that, I think of, that I'm thinking about right now. Where someone was literally asserting themselves in a way that was not fair, it was not just, and they were taking it out on me. You know what our response is? Well, I just didn't fret about it. I just waited on God. Doesn't that sound good? I wasn't as good about that this week as I could have been, right? Because why? I wanted to respond because what he had done was wrong. Meekness doesn't have to do it that way. Now, listen carefully. Meekness is... Are, you're not meek because there's no strength within you. Even though that's true, ultimately. But that's not why you're meek. Jesus Christ was meek because he had all of the authority of God the Father. That's why he was meek. Now, think of it in that way. Do you see how it's so different? Wrap your head around that. That's why you can be meek and wait on the Lord, trust in him, fret not, is because you have, living within you, the Holy Spirit, who has everything that you could possibly want, need, or... Well, there's another word I couldn't get out there. Want, need, or use. There we go. And that's who lives within you. And when you have that, you can 
respond with no fretting, resting, waiting, because all of that authority is yours when it's God's way in his time. That just takes all the pressure off. Now, I found myself in this situation because I wanted to respond. Are you a responder? When somebody does you wrong, you want to respond, don't you? It's easy, isn't it? It's just boom. You want to, let's get it on. You're going to do that? Well, then I'm going to do this. And again, I'm not talking malicious. I'm not talking about any of that. But you respond because you're, you're thinking how, wait a minute, that was really unjust. How should I respond? I'm going to tell you what meekness does. It doesn't need to. It literally says I want to do it God's way, in his time, with his power. Do you know why Moses was described as the meekest man on the, on the earth in the Old Testament? Do you want to know why? Because for 40 years he did it the wrong way. He did it the wrong way. Remember that Egyptian? He killed him because he thought he was going to help God out. He wanted to get it on. He, being an Israelite that was raised in Pharaoh's house, which was raised amongst the Egyptians, that, I found that very interesting. Most people would just take a step back and say, I, I think as good as I've got it right now, I've got pleasure, I've got riches, I've got money, I've got power. I think I'm just going to forget that I was ever a Hebrew. Not Moses. He went back to his roots. He went back to his legacy, and he said, no, these people need to be free, and they're being taken advantage of, and they're being made slaves by the Egyptians, and it needs to stop, and it needs to stop now, and I'm going to deal with it. He was fretting. He fretted, didn't he? What did he do when he fretted? Oh, he got himself in so much trouble. He killed an Egyptian. And he, you know, he looked this way, he looked that way, hid the Egyptian. The next day, we got two Hebrews fighting. And he says, knock it off. You guys are brothers. And one says, oh, what, are you going to kill me today like you did the Egyptian yesterday? Whoa, the antennas are up flying, aren't they? What did Moses do? He ran for the hills. He took off. First 40 years, he did it wrong. The second 40 years, God is teaching him to be, go ahead and say it, meek. You know the best way to become meek? Work with sheep. <laughs> it's true. That's right. I was, I was, it's absolutely, I'm so glad you were here to hear that, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I probably do. God, God hasn't trusted me enough with, actually, I've had sheep. And, and sheep are an interesting creature because you know what? They're the most like people. They are really. <laughs> Out of control, unruly, aren't they? But, but think of it, though, really. Abram lived, Abram, uh, not Abram, Moses lived 120 years. 40 years, he was in the Egyptian court. He had it his way. He was assertive. He was arrogant. He really was. And he had the power behind him. And then he did that. And then for the next 40 years, I'm going to tell you what, he was lowering the snake's belly. God was doing a lot of stuff. You know what he was doing? He was getting him ready to be a real leader. You show me a leader that hasn't learned how to follow God, you don't have a leader. You will not find a leader until God has ha allowed him to literally learn how to be meek, humble. It's true. If you're going to lead by driving, if you're going to lead by being on a pedestal of prideful arrogance, nobody follows. It's hard to be that person. In fact, most of the time... now. Meekness is the lack of self-assertiveness. Show me someone that has an inferiority complex. You got that person in your mind? Could be a man, could be a woman. Do you know what usually comes out? Is pride. 
they overcompensate for the thing they really don't feel strong about. Those people that were, that were rioting and that were causing such a tumult across our nation, I'm going to venture to say this. I have no way to prove it, but I would say this. Not only were they probably jobless, they were also probably without an intact family unit. They came from broken homes. They didn't probably know their father. Do you see what that's telling me? They're looking for ways to be assertive because they don't understand what they've missed. That's why God set up families. That's why he gave Adam and Eve to start a family. That's why he set up governments to be overarching. That's why he gave us the institution of the church to get along and to be unified. You show me a church that split, I'll show you one that did not have enough meekness within its congregation. Do you see how, how important meekness is? And it's so easy to get off track because it's not something that comes naturally. Moses is a perfect example. You know what happened at year 80? God comes and visits him. What do you think Moses is thinking at year 80? Oh, well, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I got, what was his wife's name? Zipporah? I think it was Zipporah, wasn't it? Got a couple of boys. Got a lot of sheep. Got a father-in-law. And God shows up. Moses, got a job for you. And he starts to unfold it, right? And, and at first, there's humility there. Did you see it? I'm not, I'm not worthy of that. I, it is, I blew it. I can't do this. Have you ever said, I blew it and I can't do this? That's not a bad place to start, actually, because you know what? That's right where God wants, because you don't think it's you that's going to get it done. It's God that's got to get it done. But then it went too far. Remember when God says, I'll give you everything you need? You just, you just go, and I'm going to give you the power. Oh, I can't. And you know what? He really drags it out, doesn't he? And then he says, all right, I will give you your brother Aaron to be your spokesman, which turned out to be a really bad idea at the end. You remember that? Who, 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 how did this golden calf just fall out of this? Right? I love that one. Oh, we, we just threw it in there, and it just this calf came out, and we worshiped it. Oh, my goodness. Right? And the last 40 years, Moses was a fantastic leader. He was meek, he was humble, and he was incredibly adept at following God's will. And did you notice how much he cared about other people? When God said, I'm going to smoke them, get out of the way, I've had all my fill of these people. Just go away, I'll, I'll start with you, Moses. No, and he said, no, 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 God. That means that you would go against the promises that you gave to your people. How many of us would say, yeah, why don't you just get them out of the way? I've had it with them. I've been leading these three million losers around for a long I can't take it. And Moses was right there acting on their behalf when he really shouldn't have, really didn't need to. Perfect picture of what? Meekness. Meekness. Let's look at some others. Let's see. We got through Psalm 37. Did I take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 10? I think I did, right? Okay. Let's, uh, let's talk about another guy. Who's the father of the Jews? Abraham. Okay. So let's talk about Abraham. Now, he was actually a really good picture of a man of meekness. So let's set this situation up. I think we'll go to chapter 13 of Genesis. Genesis chapter 13. And again, we'll use uh, the sense of power under control. 
and there's a situation that arises. Life is that way, isn't it? Just when you think things couldn't get much worse, they can. Uh, chapter 13 of Genesis and verse 1. Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. Now, who's, who's Lot? He's a nephew. Yeah, he would be Abram's brother's son. And Abram's brother's brother had passed away. So what did, what did Abram do? He took him with. Literally, I want, you, I want you to understand this now. Lot is just a hitchhiker. He was thumbing his way, and Abram said, yeah, yeah, come on, I, I'll, you know, no, no problem. Keep that in mind. We got, we got Abram, who is God's chosen people patriarch. said it a little weird, but Abraham, Abraham is the patriarch of the Jews. And Lot is a hitchhiker. Haven't heard it said that way, have you? But that's okay. That's work for this. Verse 2, Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold, and he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. Unto the place of the altar which he had made there at first, and named Abram, called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds. And Look at that. The hitchhiker has stuff. Do you see already? Abram's a pretty nice kind of uncle to be around, right? Would have you done that? Yeah, Lot, I'll tell you what. Why don't you, let's get you some stuff too. Let's let you grow up. Let's get you going. Let's keep going. Where did we end? Verse 6, the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdsmen of Abram's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. Oh, shoot. Can you imagine getting that so, so, uh, stale phone call from Sarah? Ab Abram, you've got to do something about this. I mean, our, our shepherds are fighting with Lot's shepherds. What does Abram do? I'll be home in a minute, honey. That's probably about what happened. Now, not, no cell phones, but you understand what I'm saying. Comes home and, you know, there's this, right? How much meekness was amongst the, the group help? Not so much. It's pretty normal. So what's Abram going to do? What would you do? Stop. You already know what's happened, and that's not fair. But let's just say, forget you know what happened. Abram is who? He's the one God said, I want you to go to a land I will show you. I want you to be the beginning of a chosen people. I have chosen you to be that person. There is really nothing in that promise about Lot. It's not there. He was just being a kind uncle. Lot needed somebody. And now we have a situation where there's not enough place. There's not enough ranch for the cattle and the sheep and all this other stuff. You're Abram. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What's the, what's the logical thing to do? Yeah, Lot, I think you've outgrown your boots. It's time for you to head home, son. It's been nice knowing you. I've helped you. I've given you a lot of stuff, given you the opportunity to grow and to be rich, and you've got all this stuff, and I'm sorry, right now, this is my place. This is my place. So why don't you just scat, take off, see you later, right at Christmas, and we'll get back to one another. <laughs> what does he do? I mean, this is, this is, I'm, I'm building this because this is craziness. You don't do it this way in America or anywhere else in the world for that matter. He says, let's go. Abraham said unto Lot, let there be no strife. You see, first of all, what he's, what's really, really interested to him, he doesn't want a lot of strife. He doesn't want any of that stuff because what does that do? That divides and it causes all kinds of stuff. It causes rioting. 
It causes all of the things that we're engaged in today is when there's strife, there's problems. And if you think there's a little bit of problem now a lot, I don't want any more of that. So first of all, he's very interested in doing the right thing. This is, this is something that I, I said to somebody, you know, it just popped out of my mouth as an Oklahoma selling bulls. And, and somebody asked me a question about integrity. And I turned around and I said to this guy, I said, it's always the right time to do the right thing. And I said, that's pretty good. I've got to write that down. <laughs> and that guy said, he said, he, he just sat there. Actually, he just sat there and, and just looked at me. And he said, that is really good. I said, I, I have to be honest. I've never said it to anyone before, but it is good because it must have come from God. I'm going to write it down. And it is absolutely true. If we took every time, which is the right time to do the right thing, boy, would we be in a great shape, wouldn't we? That would be practicing meekness. It's always the right time to do the right thing. And Abram, before Lot, says, we gotta, we, 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 I don't want any more strife. I pray between me and thee and between my herdsmen and thy herdsmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, for me. If thou wilt take to the left hand, then I will go to the right. If thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Unbelievable. That's meekness, people. He had power under control. He could have taken a lot and dropped, kicked him through the goalpost of life somewhere, right? He didn't do that. He said, I'll tell you what. The land's big enough for us because I trust God. I believe that he can fix this as long as we're open and waiting on him, trusting him. And I'm here to trust him because he's promised me a lot of stuff. God's at a lot more risk than I am risking and trusting you, Lot. I'm going to let God figure this out. Isn't, doesn't that take all the pressure off? No more fretting. Abraham, do you think he's fretting? Boy, I sure hope that Lot kid doesn't take the good country off to the right. That's where the good ranches are. I suppose that's what he's going to do, too. Right? Let's watch what he does. Now, Lot, being the kind and nice little nephew that he would be, he'd say, I wonder where Uncle Lot would really, I'm sorry, where Uncle Abram, I should give him the best. You know, because that's my right, or that's his right. He's taken me along, and he's really made my, paved my way. I should be looking out for Uncle Abram. He didn't have meekness. Let's watch it develop. Here we go. Uh, verse, verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zohar. So Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. Now, at that moment, we're not told exactly what Abram would have felt. It doesn't tell us that. But Abram's human, just like anyone else. And you know there was times where he had those momentary failures, remember? Like when he said to Sarah, ah, let's... Let, I tell you what, Sarah, we're in Egypt right now, and there's a lot of people here, and you're beautiful. So let's work this out so that you just tell them that you are my sister. It's going to go better for me. What did he have? He had a lapse of faith. He had a lapse of trust. I don't even know why he went to Egypt. Yeah, I do. He didn't, tr he didn't trust God enough to take care of him where he was. Did God tell him to go to Egypt? No. Where did Hagar come from? from Egypt. All of that baggage came back to haunt him, right? You know what happens to us when we don't trust God? We got baggage. You know what baggage does to it? It usually haunts us. You got some extra baggage? I do. You know what, what it's from? Doing stupid stuff because I didn't trust God when I needed to. We all do that stuff. And I wonder what Abram felt right now when Lot said, Hand up. 
I'm going to go off to the east because I think, I mean, that, because that, that's where I want to go. You said I could go either way, and I'm good. What do you think, Abram, for just a split second probably thought? I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I just know that humanness is so easy. Ah, oh, that little weasel. He took the good stuff. What am I going to, am I going to trust God? See, he didn't know that Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed. How many decisions that, that in the last week that would seem to have gone against you that you have no idea what the future is, that God is protecting you. Do you see what meekness is? You can be meek, you can have power under control, which Abraham expressed, he did, because all of the authority and all of the power and all of the blessing that God had promised him is on God's shoulders. And God is not going to do anything that is not for your best, just as it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. For all things work together for good to those that love God, and are called according to his purpose. Even if it looks crummy, God's got you. What, how did it work out for Abram? Really good. How about for Lot? Not so good. Not so good. That was the first item, first example of meekness. I have a feeling we're not going to get through this. We're having so much fun. I hope we are. Let's go to Joseph. We'll probably not even go to the passage, but... Uh, let's talk about Joseph in the sense of, what do you know about him? Joseph. Quickly, Joseph was treated by his brothers horribly, right? He didn't do anything wrong. There's two men in the Bible that's really not anything said that's negative. Nothing is said bad about them. One of them is Joseph, and the other one is Daniel. Those two guys, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm just like, whoa, right? How good is that? And the brothers sell him. Sell. Have you ever... Have your brothers and sisters ever talked about selling you? Did anybody nod their head? That's bad. That's, that's really rough. Because if you are, you're right on Joseph's level. And they did it. They threw him into a pit. Now, Reuben, you know, he's kind of the flake of the family, right? He's kind of the coward, right? And he says, yeah, oh, well, that, yeah, let's just throw him in the pit. And he's thinking, ah, when I get back, I'm going to turn him loose. Remember what happened? He came home, or he came back. What'd you do with him? Oh, we just sold him to the, the Ishmaelites. The who? The Hulites? The Ishmaelites, which is what? From the baggage that Abram brought from Egypt? Do you see how this thing just keeps connecting? And Joseph goes off on that journey to Egypt. He becomes a slave to a guy by the name of Potiphar, does the right thing for the right reasons at the right time, and he gets thrown in prison. Oh, right? What's going wrong here? Does it look like it's going to work out for Joseph? It looks horrible. And then there's two clowns. I mean, I mean two guys that show up. The baker and the, and the what, was his, what was the other guy? Butler. They weren't clowns. They were two guys that showed up in, in prison. And one of them is promoted, and one of them is killed. And he says to the one that's promoted, don't forget where I'm at, because I'm in here really not right. So please tell somebody. For two years, he continues in that stead. And on a normal morning, just like this morning, you know, you guys just woke up and you think it's another day, right? On that, just like another day, that day, Pharaoh had had a dream. And he calls in all the wise guys. What did I dream? Uh, uh, let's get back to you on that one. They didn't know. They had a clue. He says, is there anybody? And here's the butler. And he says, oh, I remember. That would be a time to remember, wouldn't it? Do you see how God sets that up? Isn't that beautiful? A dream that he remembers that Joseph had everything known about it, and he says, 
there is a guy and he's in prison and he can do dreams. Well, what are we waiting for? And can you imagine that day? Joseph is probably, what do you think Joseph is doing? What did he do in prison? What did he do in jail? Why was he promoted actually in jail? Because he was serving others. The prison master literally trusted him with the entire prison. How many of us would respond that way if you're in prison? You know what I'd do? I'd whine for a while. I shouldn't be here. I mean, what, what did I do wrong, right? Whole waste of time. You know what Joseph does? He's interested in other people. How did he get to know that baker and that butler? He said, what's wrong? What happened? You know what? He would have never exposed the dream. They would have never told him the dream if he hadn't got to know them. Do you see how important this is? God wants us involved in other people's lives because he uses those people to take us where we need to be. Isn't that beautiful? And then Joseph, I'm, I'm, I'm taking me too long to get there. But noticed? And he's promoted to prime minister. And he sets up a perfect strategy for a famine that is amazingly difficult. And all of a sudden, the same bros, the ones that sold him out, Daddy Jacob says, what, are you guys going to just keep looking at one another? Why don't you go to Eve's and get us some food? <laughs> You're growing, man. Let's, let's get going. So go down there, and Joseph sees them. <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment. Is that what he did? No. No, he didn't. You know the story. What God meant, or what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Now, that's meekness. That's power under control. He was willing to go ahead and trust God with the future because he trusted God for right now, for the present. He didn't fret. Did you see that? What was those things you wrote down? Fret not. Wait on the Lord. Trust God. What was the other one? What was it? Uh, cease from anger. That is one that I didn't even give you. Absolutely. And the way you can do that is to cease from anger is if you do the other things. It comes naturally. That's why all of these riots and all of this stuff, you know what? There's no meekness. There's no meekness. You know what's going to be right on the forefront is anger. Anger. Even though there was an injustice done, horrible injustice, the way they're going about it is horribly wrong. It doesn't make it any better. There was one more I think I gave you. Just a second. I'll look at my notes real quickly. Um, waiting on the Lord. Trusting in the Lord. Don't fret. Oh, did I give you commit your way? Commit your way to the Lord? I didn't even give. Let's go back. Let's go back to Psalm 37. You guys are going to think, what is he doing today? I'm just having a good time in Jesus, right? Psalm chapter 37, and let's look at verse 5. We're told to commit thy way unto the Lord. Commit your way. So don't fret. Trust in the Lord. Commit your way. Rest in the Lord and waiting for the Lord. Those things there set you up beautifully. That would have been exactly what Joseph would have done. Let's look at another one. We've looked at Moses. How about David? How about David? You say, whoa, what, do I, what are you guys thinking about David? When I say the word David, what comes to your mind? Boom, what's, what's the first thing there when I say David? Just be honest. What is it? Yeah. Excuse me? Strength. Strength, Okay. Anything else? Yeah. You know, some, when you, sometimes, and it doesn't, it's not all the time, but sometimes you think of David, I think of Psalms, and I love to go to the Psalms. There's other times you say, David, and I just feel, and Bathsheba. You know, and you just think, oh, man, you know, he had a bad day, which turned into a bad week, which turned into a bad, it's a bad life almost, right? The consequences of that, and it was just another day, just like another day. And that's how Satan is. He is so crafty. And you know what David was supposed to be doing on that day? He should have been out with his soldiers, but he wasn't. But the other thing I think about with David, think of him now as a young man, and he's been herding his father's sheep. And then on this 
another given day, he's out herding the sheep, and someone comes and taps. Hey, David, come on over here. Dad wants you at the house. Why? He didn't tell me. Just come to the house. And he walks in the house, and here's this guy with a flask of oil. And he says, come here, son. And he pours oil on the top of his head. He said, you are now the new king of Israel. I mean, right? It was, actually, it was like that because they went through the rest of the brothers, right? Started with Eliab and doink, 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 and none of them are qualified. And don't you have any other sons? Huh. Well, he wasn't even there. Think of that. You know, <laughs> he's the youngest. He's the little pup of the family. And, well, there's David. Go get him. And he walks in the house and he's king. Just like that. Boom. And you know what he did? This, this I love about David. I love this. He didn't go to the, to the local um, crown shop and try on crowns. You know what he did? It says right there, he went back to the sheep. Isn't that beautiful? Good sheep, yeah. And I bet you his sheep were well behaved. <laughs> Think of that. Isn't that great? He just went right back to what his job was for then. But something happened, and you know. Goliath, that opportunity came up. He went to, to go take some food to his brothers, take some refreshment. And he watches this from the distance. And here's this, on one side of the valley is the the Philistines, and they're on the other side, and every day they get closer. The Philistines are moving towards them. And they get bigger, and they get bigger, and they get bigger. And David's sitting, and he's totally, he's totally can't figure this out. He said, well, what, what's the problem there? Well, the big guy, you see the big guy? He's taunting us. Now, who is the biggest guy on the Israel side? Saul. He was head and shoulders, it tells us. He was head and shoulders above the rest. So whose job should have it been? Exactly. Saul should have been that guy, right? But what, whose battle was it? Saul saw it as his battle. Who did David see the battle as? God's battle. In fact, that's what he said. He said, now he's just a little shaver. I'm convinced he wasn't very big. Because what, what did Goliath say? What are you sending this dog to me for, right? How was Goliath approaching this battle? With pride, with arrogance, right? He thought he had it. How was David prepared? I'm going to say with humility, it was God's battle. And meekness, he had God's power on his side. He could do it God's way. Now, I will say, he didn't take just one stone. He took several. I would have done it the same way. Isn't that, now, you know what? That's also a sense of humility. Take what's there. Let God use you. And as a result of that, guess what happened? He became popular. Saul was second rate. And all of a sudden, Saul is chasing David, which incidentally was his son-in-law and was trying to kill his son-in-law. How would you as David, that was the arch enemy of the planet, this man, Saul, your father-in-law, is, is chasing you to kill you. And there's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity in a cave. And his men, here comes Saul into the cave to relieve himself. Can you, imagine that, just imagine the situation. Of all the caves, it's this one, and there's David and some of his men. And the one reaches him, elbows him, David. God's given him into your hand. Go kill him. What would you do? Well, I'd sure get a lot, of, a lot of problems. He's in my hands. I am anointed the king. What was it? It's always the right time to do the right thing. He trusted God enough to let it be God's way. He, he exhibited meekness, that is, power under control, letting God do the work. Isn't that amazing? 
Now, he, I think what really was, it really got Saul's attention. He went over and cut off a little piece of robe. Saul goes heading downhill, and David walks outside. Saul! That would be mine. It'll get over it. I thought I shut it off, actually. At any rate, so distracting, so distracting. And he holds up this piece of his robe. What do you think Saul thought? That's an amazing guy. And Saul knew very well that he could have never done that himself. He was so incensed with jealousy, so incensed with rage and anger and all the things that he was enraged with. If he would have been given that opportunity, he would have killed David in a heartbeat. And David, the one he was chasing, exhibited power under control, meekness to a high level. And that, again, would show me why he was a man after God's own heart. Boy, do we need to be people after God's own heart. Meekness is probably the strongest characteristic that we can't ever seem to master. And yet it affects more people than any... It, the times when you can exhibit meekness, literally. It may not be right there in that moment, but when you do the right thing at the right time when somebody's not expecting it, it has the right response. Not right then, but inside they cannot argue with that. Saul, it just totally, it just totally disoriented him. Those brothers of Joseph's, when he told them, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, and they couldn't hardly believe it. Lot with his uncle Abram. Why would he do that? Jesus Christ. That is truly the meekest person that has ever walked the face of the earth. I want us to go. Did we go to, did we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 or not? We didn't do that because I got sidetracked somewhere else, didn't I? Let's go there right now because it's perfect. God knew that. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And verse 1, Paul is talking to those. This is his second letter to the Corinthians. First one was kind of get them lined out. And then now in the second one, he's kind of like revitalizing them. He's, he's uh, trying to encourage them. Now watch this. There's two things that he speaks of Christ, which I find very, very interesting. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we'll just look at verse 1. Are you all there? 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you, He's asking them, he's commanding them by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Those are two, two characteristics that Paul is laying out particularly about Jesus Christ that he wanted the Corinthians to get a hold of. Meekness and gentleness. Isn't that perfect for us today? There's three things I was telling myself this week. Larry, be humble, be meek, and be gentle. Those, those three things, that changes everything. Everything. I was just, some, a verse just popped my mind. Let's go to Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. See if you can find Micah. Micah. Oh, let's see. I will. Micah. Where is a Micah? There it is. If you find Jonah, you're getting close. And if you went to Nahum, you went too far. Did that help you? There you go. Thank you. Uh, 
Micah chapter 6, verse 8. This is a verse that you should, you should have it in your repertoire somewhere because it really speaks to those things that are very important. He has showed, he has showed the old man, Micah 6, 8. I still hear pages wrestling. Micah 6, verse 8. He has showed the old man what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? I want to pay attention. But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. And you do those three things, I'll tell you what. Things are working for you. You know what else will happen if you do those three things? I'm convinced. You're going to be happy. <laughs> Anybody that seek happiness will never find it. And those that follow after God doing it his way will automatically be happy as a result. That's what Jesus is talking about. Humility, meekness, they all bring satisfaction. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to show you a man that God really helped immensely, and he didn't get it. Let's go to 2 Chronicles. How are we for time? Is that clock right back there? Just turn it back, and Laramie, would you just turn it back an hour, and then we'll be just right. <laughs> Second Chronicles. That's right. Second Chronicles, chapter 26. There's a man by the name of Uzziah. And Uzziah was, a, he, I think he was actually king for 52 years. He started when he was 16. Yeah, look at verse 3. 26, Second Chronicles, chapter 26, verse 3 says this. 16 years old was Uzziah when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 2 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. Now, you can read those first uh, 15 verses, but it literally unfolds for you the greatness that God made this man. He had an army of, if you, do the, if you, if you go through this, he, he had an army of 307,000 plus men. Whoa, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. He had a lot of stuff. He had a whole lot of power. In fact, he conquered a bunch of Philistine cities. I could go on and on and on and on. And God had blessed him immensely. It was 52 years. But was he meek? Oh, I wish I could say he was. But let's look at verse 16. God had blessed him mightily. In verse 16, it starts with the word but. In fact, let's go to verse 15. He made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Who was helping him? God was. Now watch. Verse 16. But, oh, bummer when I see that but. When he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. He just took it upon himself to serve anyway. If you think I'm a good king, you wait till you see how good a priest I am. And he transgressed the law of the Lord. Did you see the enemy of meekness? Mark it. Pride. Pride is the enemy of meekness. It is absolutely the arch enemy of meekness. So how do you know that you're meek? How would you say of someone else, that person is meek? And that's not easily said about very many people today, is it? That's, it's, 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 it's a gift from God, quite honestly. As the Holy Spirit in Romans 5.5, 5, it says, spread the love abroad by the Spirit of God. That comes from within. All of that's the starting point. What does love do? Casts out fear. There's a lot of that today, isn't there? Meekness. How do you know that someone is meek? How would you describe that? 
Who are they thinking about? Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's a good one. What else could we say? Yeah, and follows right right along with what Jerry said. There's a lot. There, there's there's the absence of being consumed by self. That's that's good, isn't it? What else could we say? I think one of the questions we could ask ourselves: What makes me mad? Did Jesus get mad? And maybe I should use the word anger. Maybe I should do that rather than the word mad. Let's, what, what, did Je- was Jesus angry? What was he angry about? Excuse me? Yes. The things that God hated, Jesus. He was no wimp. I'll tell you what, his meekness was not weakness. There was two times that he cleansed the temple. They were making it a marketplace. They were literally extorting money from those, those travelers that had brought their own sacrifices. And they said, oh, they're not good enough, but we've got one. And they charged them several times the amount that they should have. It was, and it was wrong in the whole thing. And Jesus was furious. I think that's great. When's the last time you made a whip and started whipping people to get out of the place? That's pretty serious. What do you get mad at? That's a great question for us to ask ourselves. What is it that fires you up? Most of the time, we'll find that we get fired up when we're the ones that are being humiliated or have been aligned, misaligned. But how about when God is misaligned and he's blasphemed or he's t- literally in bad light? Does that make you mad? If it does, that's a good sign that meekness is part of who you are. Who do you trust when things are tough? That's another good question. I find myself oftentimes, especially at the beginning of a problem, well, what am I going to do about it? No! It doesn't matter what I'm going to do about it. What does God want me to do about it, right? A lot of times, 2 a.m. in the morning, that's the times that I wake up, and there's a lot of things. You know those problems kind of roll at you? But it's a great time to be meek because I just say, God, that's your deal. I don't know what to do with it. And now, when I make it his deal, because it's his power, it's his authority, I can be meek because he is in charge. That's meekness, isn't it? Meekness is such a wonderful, and it's releasing. You know why you can be happy? Because you're not wearing that huge bundle of stuff. That wears you. you ever had that back? Do you put a backpack of 100 pounds on in the morning? <laughs> Let me put this one on right now. Oh, boy, I feel good today. Boy, I'm so refreshed. You know what? When we want to carry around all our problems and we want to try to figure it out ourselves, it would be just like putting on a 100-pound box or a bag of, of rocks. <laughs> right? What does Jesus say about that? In fact, let's go. This is toward the end of my, of my deal, but let's go to Matthew chapter 11. It just came to my mind. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. I'll start there. Jesus' words. Beautiful. Matthew 11, verse 28. This is a verse that I I dearly love. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How many of you are heavy laden today? Are any of you going to be heavy laden sometime in your lifetime? Yes, you will. And Jesus says, 
I'm here for you. Now watch verse 29. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me. Watch. For I am, did you see it? For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, it all fits together beautifully. Just beautifully. Let him carry the rocks and study him. Become like him. In fact, Paul writes in it in Philippians. Let's go to chapter 4, verse 13. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Philippians 4, 13. Watch this. Toward the end of this letter to the people at Philippi, he's in prison. And Paul says this. He's in prison, and he says this. Verse 13, chapter 4. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Perfect example of meekness. If you're meek, there's a couple things. You're going to do a lot of praying, and you're going to do a lot of submitting to God. If you pray a lot, and you submit a lot, meekness is right around the corner. Because you're just letting it out there to have God take a hold of it. Now, if you find yourself to be very self-assertive, Meekness is not close. <laughs> Meekness is not close. Now, there are things that we need, the reasons we need meekness. You remember we read that? I can't remember where we were at, but it was, uh, where was that at? Uh, I tell you what, we could go to James chapter 1, verse 21. Let's do that. Because you must be meek to receive God's word. You must be meek to receive God's word. And if you're not in the spirit of meekness, God's word will not be caught. Let's go to James chapter 1, verse 21. I think that will help us through that. James chapter 1, verse 21. We're just about to wrap up. And you say, well, good, good, good. James chapter 1, verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word. That's what I want you to focus on. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. If you do not come before God with humility and meekness, the word will go right over your head. That's why a lot of people, when they hit, when they hit the bottom, when they're in that, the lowest part of their life when they get saved, that's a perfect place for God to be able to catch them where they are. Meekness, you must have it to receive God's word. Galatians chapter 6. Let's go there for a moment. Galatians chapter 6. Got a couple more things to look at, and we're going to move, move on. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, meekness is not only important to receive God's word. It's also important for us to restore fallen Christians, to restore fallen Christians. Look at chapter 6 of Galatians in verse 1. Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you, which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Isn't that very true? When we come to somebody out of meekness. I remember we had a board meeting. I was in another church years and years ago, and there was, there was, a, there was a gentleman that just blew up in a board meeting, just lost it at a church board meeting, which is, you know, that's, ah, Right? And like I said, if you've, got, if you've got huge problems in a church, there's probably not a lot of meekness going on. And you know what? I had to, I had to pray for three months. I, I'm embarrassed to say, but nobody else went to him either. But I finally, I said, God, you've got to give, give me the words. I don't know what to say. 
but I know it's wrong and I know we need to talk about it because you must be honored. You must be glorified. You must be number one. Help me. It took me three months of praying. Finally, I went to this gentleman and I said, I'm here because I love you and I'm here because God told me to be here. I'm coming with nothing else because I'm no better than anyone else, but I really feel God needs to be glorified and we need to talk about this. This needs to stop. And it was so sweet. You know why? Because God had given me meekness. Not that I deserved it, but I just, God, I can't do this. I don't know what to say. Isn't that a perfect place to be? Now, if I come with an agenda, let me give him a piece of my mind. Guess where meekness is? It's in the rear. It's gone. And you know where God is glorified? He's not. Because as soon as pride rears its head, God's glory disappears. Or his, glor his glory doesn't, but my glorifying him disappears. That was, I just thought of that this very moment, and that was such a good example how God gave me what I didn't deserve to reach out to someone that had slipped and fallen. And at the end, we hugged each other, and he said, thank you so much for caring enough and loving me to come to me. And see, that's God. That's God. That's meekness. That's what meekness can do. Now, not only is meekness important to receive God's word and to restore fallen Christians, but let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. It's also important to reach others. As we find our world so messed up right now, meekness is the way for us to reach them. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Watch this. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Oh, that's good words. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Watch, with meekness and fear. Do you see how important meekness is? Not only to receive God's word ourselves and to restore fallen Christians, but to reach others. And then let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. It's the last one. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. I'm going to start in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. This is actually, and I like the way Paul does this. If you don't think right, you can't live right. And so in Ephesians, you have six chapters. So guess what Paul does with six chapters of Ephesians? The first three, he says, I want to get your thinking right. And then in chapter four, he starts off, he said, now I want to get your living right. Because if you're thinking right, you're going to be living right. So it's what, this is what you got to think. Now the rubber meets the road. In verse one of chapter four, it's the beginning of this. And he says, I therefore, because of what I've just told you how to think, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you. Do you remember that word? Beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Watch verse two. With all lowliness and, say it, meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace absolutely key to unity within a church is those two verses right there. Meekness is important to remaining unified. Meekness is absolutely vital to receive God's word. We looked at James 1.21. It's absolutely imperative that to restore fallen Christians, Galatians 6.1. It's imperative for meekness to reach others, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And it's also important and mandatory for us to have meekness to remain unified, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Now, again, we're going to close with this. You're not meek because you can't help yourself. And at first you say, well, yeah, I really can't help myself. Yeah, you're right, but that's not why you're meek. Jesus was meek 
because he had the infinite resources of God at his disposal. And because of that, he could be meek because he could trust the one that has it all. And if you're here today and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells you and lives within you. And because of that, you can be meek. See, that perspective is completely different. It changes everything because no longer is it up to you. It's up to the God that lives within you. A spirit-filled life. Fruit of the Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith. Against such there is no law. See, meekness is a fruit of the Spirit that you can only get if you're saved in, in Jesus Christ. And then the Holy Spirit, He, you know, fruit is not on the outside. I don't go out and talk to an apple tree. You need to shape up and get some fruit or I'm going <laughs> to... Where does that fruit come from? It's wired from the inside. You know what? When you're in Jesus Christ, you're wired by the Spirit to produce fruit that literally changes the world that we're around. If there was ever a time for the United States of America, we need to see some fruit on some Christians. It's right now. We need to pray for our nation. We need to reach out. And, th and, and again, it's not so much of us changing a nation. Don't look at it that way. How do, you, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you change a world? One person. At a time. And it's God that does the changing. Well, that came out wasn't exactly right. It's the Holy Spirit that will change. But He's changing people when He's changing you. And He's changing me. And that's how we're going to reach this nation, is one person at a time, reaching out in meekness and all of the fruit of the Spirit that comes from the inside out. Isn't that a blessing? Happy are those that are meek, for they shall inherit. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for Jesus Christ literally blowing the minds of that crowd as it was gathered as he was speaking to them all of those years ago. And what's really cool is, Father, he would say the same thing to us today. His voice would ring with the very same issues because he was interested in the heart issues, not the political landscape, not the world powers, not the lack of anything in the sense of externals. He would go right to the heart. And Father, we have a heart problem in our world today. No different than the one that he ministered to. But Father, you're the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus Christ is just as able to save anyone today as he did then. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the burdens that our Savior, Jesus Christ, counted as joy to endure the cross to bear the burdens and the sins of everyone that was ever committed. There's not a sin that He can't forgive. His blood accomplished it. Father, thank You especially for the power of resurrection that literally proved that Jesus' work was finished, complete, and adequate. And because of that, the Holy Spirit has come to indwell every believer. Thank you. Thank you for that. Just thinking of how difficult our lives would be if the Holy Spirit was not living within us. And Father, as the day is approaching, every day that goes by is one day closer to where the book of Revelation that John wrote on the Isle of Patmos. He was exiled there under punishment from an evil dictator. And yet you use that opportunity to speak through John, to literally share with us and all peoples 
of the end times. And as that day is approaching, Father, we can see more clearly than we've ever seen the challenges, the unfolding of the evil one. And Father, it is a war, not against flesh and blood, but a spiritual warfare of evil and good. Father, thank you for the end of the book, for you win. It's not even a question. Evil will flee from you ultimately. And in the meantime, Father, I pray for our nation. I pray for those individuals that you care and love so much that Jesus Christ died for them. That we as Christians would live a life where the fruit of the Spirit is exhibited and lived to show a difference, as Peter said in his letter. And may we do it with meekness. May we do it with power under control because all of the authority of God yourself is wrapped up when we give you, submit to you, praying, Father, for you to be fully and completely in control. Father, take us and use us this week. We're anticipating a world that continues to need you. May they want you as they've tried everything imaginable. Father, may they turn to you. I pray for a revival in our nation, starting at the gra grassroots. And Father, may the halls of Congress, even in this week, may they see you for who you are. May you break through those walls of hard and calloused hearts, of having so much for so long. May you break it down. May meekness and humility and mourning over their sin take place because therein lies the secret, not only to their in, internal happiness, but, Father, for a nation that needs to turn back to you. We pray for Bibles to be opened and to be read, to be meditated on, for the gospel of Jesus to be proclaimed, the good news, Christ died for sinners. Father, we leave that with you. We know that you're sovereign, you're mighty, you're omnipotent. And above all, we glorify you. We want to honor your name. Thank you for protecting us. Thank you for your word. And Father, one day, I can't wait to be in your presence. To be able to look into the face of my God. My Savior. be held to kneel at your feet for eternity. Father, that makes a lot of these things very temporal, very unimportant when I think about you for eternity. Father, you care about a whole lot of people today that are shunning you, that are declining to acknowledge you. I just ask that you would block the evil one May Satan's ways be thwarted, and may the ways of you be ramped up, and may the power of God Almighty grab this world out of the very depths of its foundation, and may it be shook to seeing they need you. And we thank you for what you're doing. Christ's precious and holy name. Amen.